This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 40, where I am going to talk about the decision to place a family member into care, and I'm going to discuss when it is time, and what I mean by that is there are really good reasons for placement. And nobody wants to talk about that. There's this myth that you just take, you know, you're, if you keep the person at home, you are such a good person. If you make the decision to transfer your loved one to a nursing home or a memory care unit or an assisted living or whatever care home, whatever it's called in your neck of the woods, there's this belief that you are just like a shitty human being. And I have to apologize. My cat Pippin just walked into the home office and he is being very vocal. Uh, Apparently, I think he has some opinions on the subject. Okay. Also, I do want to apologize. I really aim to do one podcast a week to drop weekly. And last weekend, things got a little out of hand. The good news is I did go to LaSalle University in Philadelphia. That is my alma mater. I graduated from LaSalle in 1992, 30 years ago, with my master's. And I was invited to return as part of the Sigma Theta Tall induction ceremony. Sigma Theta Tall is an honor society for nurses. I believe the local chapter is Kappa Delta at LaSalle. And I was asked to give a brief talk. Yes, I kept it to 15 minutes. My podcast listeners are probably extremely impressed because most of my podcasts are a bit longer than that, but that's okay. I also received the Excellence in Research Award from the School of Nursing and Health Professions. And that was so nice and so cool. I currently reside in Birmingham, Alabama, and for those of you who are not as familiar with U.S. geography, because quite a few of my listeners are outside of the United States, and that's pretty cool. So to all of my listeners outside of the United States, thank you. I am so glad you are here. I'm also glad for my listeners in the States. But where I'm going with this is, it is a 14-hour drive from my home to my mom's home in Northeast Philadelphia. And that's 14 hours if you get behind the wheel of your car and ignore the speeding limits and don't stop for gas or bathroom breaks. Yeah, I, I stop for both. And I also needed to take a mirror with me because the doggy daycare was all filled up. It was spring break. And I obviously didn't plan very well. So Amira and I took a road trip, which meant two days of driving. And then 
Friday, last Friday was the Sigma Theta Tall event. And Saturday, I visited with my mom and my siblings and had a really good time. And Sunday morning, I said goodbye to everybody and then made the two-day trip back to Birmingham, Alabama. I really thought about recording the podcast and doing the podcast from the hotel room, but after several hours of driving, I essentially got something to eat, took a mirror for a walk, and we watched Netflix. So that's my dirty little secret there. But anyway, I'm so glad to be back, and let's launch into episode 40. About uh, two weeks ago, I received an email and the person said to me or asked me if I had any advice for those of us who have surrendered our family members to care. And that word surrendered struck a chord with me. It really, I felt really sad seeing that word. Because surrender, to me, carries a lot of feeling and imagery. I picture a family who is homeless surrendering a beloved pet to the animal shelter. I picture weary, beaten soldiers laying down their weapons and surrendering to the opposing forces and hoping for mercy. I also am watching the news, watching Ukrainian townspeople who are unable to hold back opposing Russian forces anymore and surrendering to their enemies, knowing that everything they have will soon be taken away. So the word surrender really hit me. And I don't have to tell anyone reading this blog or listening to my podcast that dementia caregiving is challenging. You all friggin' know that, especially if you are flying solo. Placement is likely going to be a necessity at some point and not an option. First, please stop comparing your situation to others. Other caregivers can be super fucking judgy, and this sucks. While support groups can be helpful, support groups can also be a source of guilt and problems. This is because some support groups are run by trained facilitators who are knowledgeable about dementia and, like I said, have some type of formal training. Perhaps they have been family caregivers, most likely they were, but their experience is not 100% being a family caregiver. They have other professional expertise as well. Other support groups are run by well-meaning individuals who cared for one family person and now believes themselves to be an expert. If you have cared for one one person living with dementia, you have cared for one person living with dementia. Placement may be the kindest decision you ever make. And here are some reasons why. The first reason, your health is taking a hit. Dementia caregiving involves physical and mental effort because dementia, regardless of the type, does not get better or improve. Some challenges go away, but they are immediately replaced by new ones. For example, 
you are struggling with your loved one wandering off. You are finding different and creative solutions to prevent what is called elopement. That is your loved one leaving your home and getting lost somewhere. You are losing sleep because you are worried that they may exit in the middle of the night. You are mentally exhausted, trying to come up with solutions to address the wandering problem. Over time, your loved one with dementia starts to have problems walking. Wandering is replaced by falling. Maybe you can pick them up off the floor. Maybe you can't and you must call the local paramedics or fire department. The wandering concern slowly goes away, but you deal with falls and injuries and trips to the urgent care center or emergency department regularly. This new problem is taking a toll on you on both your physical and mental health. Then one day, your loved one living with dementia can no longer walk. The wandering problem is solved, as well as the falling problem, but you have a new problem that requires more physical effort on your part. You must help your family member stand, pivot onto the wheelchair, and then you move them to the bathroom to get cleaned up. Then you help them stand, pivot onto the wheelchair, and wheel them to another room in the house. And this goes on all day. The physical strain on you is enormous. Maybe you should consider placement long before you get to the point where you are going to drop dead. And no, I'm not trying to exaggerate or be histrionic about this, but it's a fact. Too many caregivers push themselves well past their physical and mental limits or capacities. Researchers have reported that caring for a family member living with dementia can shorten one's life by four to eight years. Around 20% of spousal caregivers die before their loved one living with dementia. Dementia caregivers also have higher rates of depression and anxiety than non-caregivers. Only you can make the decision about when placement is necessary to preserve your physical and mental health. Dementia behaviors can also make the home environment unsafe, not only for the person living with dementia, but also for you. This happens when the needs of the person living with dementia outstrips or outpaces what you can competently and safely provide. Some people are able to obtain in-home caregiving assistance, depending on the resources available. Others have more limited resources, and they cannot keep up with the care needs of the person living with dementia, especially incontinence. In the United States, the resources for caring for a person living with dementia is radically different depending on which state you live and even depending on which region within a particular state. There are states where a person living with dementia who qualifies for nursing home care can also qualify for what's called community-based long-term care in which Medicaid or other state agencies provide quite 
significant caregiving resources. I had a client who resided in New York and her mother qualified for Medicaid. And this client was receiving 12 hours of in-home caregiver support five days a week. She was getting all of this through the Medicaid program for her geographic area. That was, that's pretty impressive. Then there's other regions where family caregivers get no help unless they are able to pay for it from their own savings. Depending on the type and amount of resources you can obtain for your situation, that's going to influence how long your loved one can safely and competently be cared for in the home. And if you cannot keep up with the care needs of the person living with dementia, especially if incontinence is involved, if you cannot safely and competently provide the level of care your loved one needs, keeping them at home may result in inadequate care. Not because you're doing this on purpose, you really are unable to provide the level of care they need. And this is another situation where placement may be the kindest thing to do to ensure that your loved one gets the level of care they require. Other behaviors like constant wandering away from the home, threats of violence, bouts of rage, these are but a few of the behaviors that may create a need for placement because you, the caregiver, cannot safely care for the person living with dementia. Unfortunately, these same behaviors can also make placement difficult as well, but that is a topic for another podcast. I also want to talk about another issue that I see quite a bit of, but when I dive into the professional literature, it's not there. This topic isn't discussed. And I also fail to see it discussed by other people who write and talk on the topic. And that is zero aptitude for dementia caregiving. And here, here's what I mean by that. In the United States and in many other countries, one's relationship with a person living with dementia creates the default caregiver expectation. What I mean by that is if I am married to someone and that person develops dementia, the assumption is I take over as caregiver. Spouses become the expected caregiver of people living with dementia, followed by adult children, siblings, in-laws, etc. And this is a societal expectation and one that seems to be global. In fact, many of us who are spouses or adult children also have the same expectation for ourselves and many of us gladly embrace it. On the other hand, there are people who are just not made to be dementia caregivers. I have a friend who is fond of saying, anyone can sing, 
but not everyone is a singer. I'm going to steal her comment and modify it to everyone can care, but not everyone is a carer. Some people are natural carers, like my mom. She was a nursing assistant in a local nursing home, and so much of what she did came from an intuitive place. And in fact, when I was home last weekend and I was telling her about some of the stuff in my book, I was showing her the book, I was signing it for family members. She was leafing through the book and while she was very proud, she chuckled and said, but Rita, this is all common sense. And I said, mom, it's common sense for you. It's not common sense for many of us. Which brings me to the point that dementia caregiving can be taught. I learned to be a dementia caregiver. And as for teaching, I teach it all day long. But just as there are people who will never be singers, no matter how many years of singing lessons they receive, there are people who are not cut out to be dementia caregivers, period. And if they try to meet societal expectations and take on a job for which they are unprepared, the person living with dementia will be the one to suffer. Another interesting societal behavior, at least in the United States, is that a man who is a caregiver and who places a family member into some type of facility, that man will not receive the same level of condemnation and reproachment as a woman who makes the same decision. If you are a woman and a wife or daughter-in-law, note how quickly you become the default caregiver. No one assesses you for aptitude, and it does not matter what else you have going on in your life. And heaven help you if you have some type of healthcare background, because that closes the deal. Oh, my daughter is a nurse. She can take care of me. Maybe daughter is a lactation consultant or works in labor and delivery. Folks, I'm a registered nurse, and while I did get basic training in a lot of different specialties, like 40 years ago, if you are having a baby, I am the last person you want to see walking into labor and delivery suite, unless I'm there to offer you ice chips. That would be the extent of my ability. I am awesome with dementia caregiving. I would not be of any use in a labor or delivery suite. And I know that. When we were having a lot of the COVID surges and many of us in academia were putting on scrubs and going to the hospital, I chose to remain in my clinical area because I joked with my colleagues that me in an ICU, I would probably be responsible for more deaths than COVID because it's been decades since I've worked in an intensive care unit. And I know my limitations. So that's why I always pause whenever I hear families decide that the female who is a nurse or physician or dentist or paramedic or insert healthcare profession of choice, or they're a social worker, that person is automatically moved to the primary 
caregiver slot. Wow. This gender expectation drives me crazy, and maybe someday these gender roles and expectations will disappear, but for now, the gender-based assumption is alive and well. In my humble opinion, being a woman does not make you any more qualified to be a caregiver than being a woman makes you qualified to start working as a midwife. Or being a man means you know how to use power tools. Trust me, I am better with power tools than a lot of the men in my circle. True, many of us were socialized, many of us women that is, were socialized to accept a caregiving role. But there is no dementia caregiver gene attached to X chromosomes. Okay, I'm going to pause for a break. And when I come back, I want to talk about caregiving and toxic relationships. Let's talk about toxic relationships between potential caregivers and care recipients. This is another topic that I really don't see addressed, but in my clinical experience, it is there. And in the I'll be honest, I am not a family therapist, full disclosure, although I really feel like one by the end of most of my clinics. Physical abuse, incest, emotional abuse, neglect, substance abuse, interpersonal violence, these are sad but true realities in many, in many families. These problems tend to be hidden. If these problems are shared, they're shared with a trusted therapist. And you have individuals who go through a lot of time and effort to heal. And they're finally making progress. Then the abuser develops dementia and his or her victim and survivor of these traumas is expected to step in as a caregiver. I get really pissed when I hear from well-meaning but clueless people how someone should just get over it because that happened decades ago or that the son or daughter should forgive and forget and step in to take care of the abusive parent. No. People living with dementia move backwards in time. And they may return to that abusive behavior and trigger the caregiver. The caregiver, in turn, may lash out. They could not fight back when they were five years old, but son of a bitch, they can fight back now. I'm not saying that every caregiver in every situation like that is going to do it, but it's a real strong risk factor. And... As someone, if you are someone who has been through that trauma, who you've lived through some type of emotional, mental, physical abuse, why the fuck would you take care of the person who abused you? You wouldn't. But there are societal pressures that cause us, there are, there are societal pressures out there 
people telling you, well, that's your mom. You really need to care for your mom. Or as the adult child who lived through all of this, you may have this idyllic belief that if you care for your mom, somehow that's going to repair the relationship and you two are going to reconcile and you're going to get that relationship with your mom that you've always wanted. And probably not because the person living with dementia, maybe that person right now wants forgiveness, realizes that they did some really terrible things for whatever reason. And now they want to make amends. But if they are living with dementia, they are likely going to move backwards in time and revert to the person who was the abuser. Do I have research backing this up? No, I do not. Because there is precious little out there on caregiving in abusive situations for so many ethical and practical reasons. But I have the benefit of having done this for 40 years and I have interacted with thousands of family caregivers and I know that this is an issue. So what, where I'm coming, what I'd like to share is that if you experienced some type of abuse, neglect, something traumatic at the hands of a parent, spouse, sibling, family member, and now the tables have turned and you have the opportunity to become a caregiver, walk away. This is a situation where placement would definitely be a kindness to all involved because you may be putting yourself into a super toxic situation where you're going to come out on the worse end. So I'm going to stop there with that topic. And if there are folks out there who wholeheartedly disagree with me, who have experiences where they took care of an abusive parent or they took care of an abusive family member, and at the end you all held hands and sung Kumbaya and everything turned out great, I'd love to hear it. I truly believe it's probably the other way around. So I'm speaking to those individuals who right now are struggling with this. Maybe there's other family members putting pressure on you to just, I know you and dad didn't get along, but he really needs you right now. Fuck that shit. You need to take care of yourself. And yes, perhaps your dad or your mom or whomever needs to be cared for. This is a situation where either another family member who does not have that history, they step in or you find placement. All right. Now I want to talk about a myth that placement reduces caregiver burden. It really doesn't. Placement does not equal the end of caregiving responsibilities. So this is another reason to not feel guilty. You're really trading one set of responsibilities for another. And I'm going to say it again. Placement does not reduce caregiver burden. It simply changes the caregiver responsibilities. 
First, the decision to move a family member with dementia into care itself is an extremely difficult one. Caregivers usually reach a heartbreaking place where they know they can no longer handle the physical aspect or the mental aspects. The needs of the person with dementia exceeds their abilities. That realization is then followed by the draining task of finding the right facility, someplace nearby, someplace affordable or as affordable as possible, and someplace that is appealing. And oftentimes, finding this triad of characteristics is really rough. It reminds me of what my contractor used to always tell me. She would say to me, I can do it fast. I can do it cheap. I can do it correctly. Pick two. And she wasn't trying to be a smart ass. She was simply telling me that sometimes trying to get all of the boxes checked may not be realistic. So trying to find the right facility is a challenge. And then there is the roller coaster ride of finding out that your number one choice has a two-year waiting list, but the facility that can take your mom or dad and it is a nice place is a 90-minute drive. So finally, a decision is reached and a plan is put in place to relocate your family member and you're thinking, ah, okay, it's over. Not quite. Yes, there are some positive aspects to placement. The caregiver who never got more than two hours of sleep at a time because the person living with dementia came out of bed eight times a night may finally get some nocturnal rest. Another caregiver's daily schedule may be more manageable because he or she does not have to make sitter arrangements just to go food shopping. And by the way, shipped or delivery services, it is a beautiful thing. Use them if you can. But now there are new challenges with placement. You may worry that your loved one is receiving care and you may wonder if they are receiving the best care and if they're being treated respectfully. The assistant living or nursing home staff never seem sufficient for the amount of care everyone needs. Then there is your responsibility for different products and supplies. You may spend all Sunday afternoon visiting with your mom and dad, and then as soon as you walk in the front door, you get a phone call from the nursing home because your family member just used his last incontinence product and you need to show up with a bag of Depends. And you're thinking, why didn't you tell me that when I was there? Families are also fearful of involuntary discharges which are much more common on the assisted living side. Staff do not always know how to handle common dementia behaviors, and the staff may trigger behaviors that escalate into physical contact. The person with dementia is then labeled as problematic or as a legal liability, and the expulsion process begins or the family member is sent to an inpatient psychiatric unit and somebody discovers 
a raging urinary tract infection, which the family member suspected but could not convince the assisted living staff to investigate further and to see. Let's talk about dealing with placement guilt. How many times have you heard or someone will share this statement? Please promise me that you will never put me in a home. My response to that would be, okay, after you promise me that you will never get dementia. I'm being a little silly because both of these promises are equally silly and unrealistic. Nobody knows how they will age or what ticking time bombs will go off in our heads, in our hearts, in our lungs, or in any of our vital organs. I have seen too many people nearly kill themselves caring for someone who truly needed a higher level of care. I hear the guilt constantly as comments on Facebook posts or in the emails I receive. I overhear snippets of conversation while at the gym, at the store, and I hear naive people pass judgment on situations that they know nothing about. And in fact, I've already had a conversation with my children where I have said to them at some point, you may need to put me in a nursing home. Hopefully I have enough money for it to be a nice one. And we've already, my my son already has a plan to get me into the nursing home. He's going to tell me that I am in charge of a research study And he's going to hand me a clipboard and probably let me wear a white lab coat. And as soon as they get me in the doors, they're going to change the combination. So my kids do have a game plan and good for them. But where I'm going with this is we are having the conversation now. And I don't want to think about that. I I want to believe that I'm going to live to be 85, 90, 100 years old. And I'm going to be riding my horse and just being the strong, vibrant person that I am today? Maybe not. Don't know. Betty White is my hero, but I don't know what's in store. I don't know what the future can hold. Neither do you. Please don't get caught up into those promises. Well, I promised mom. I promised dad. I promised my spouse. I would never. That was, that, that, that may have been an unfair promise to have been made because until you are the one providing care to a person living with dementia, you will never know or understand the unrelenting responsibility. And if you have taken care of someone with dementia, you may not understand the unique challenges faced by a spouse dealing with behavioral variant FTD or an adult child overwhelmed with his parents' Lewy body dementia. Just because you cared for someone at home does not make you better or worse than a caregiver who decided on an assisted living or nursing home. I have also seen many situations where the person living with dementia does better after placement. There is more interaction with others. 
There is more food variety. There is a definite structure and routine. You may not know this because the person living with dementia constantly asks you to go home every time you visit, but guess what? They all they also asked to go home when they were living with you. The same situation here. The bottom line for today's podcast is I want to really hammer home the message. I want family caregivers to know that placement does not mean you surrendered. Placement does not mean you failed. Placement does not mean you are a shitty son, lousy daughter, unloving partner, spouse, sibling, or friend. It means that you are continuing to care for the person living with dementia. You are looking for the best option for all concerned. Let's face it. If you drop dead because you literally killed yourself trying to care for your loved one, he or she is going to be placed somewhere and you will not be around to advocate for them. And if well-meaning members and if well-meaning family members or friends comment on how easier things should be now that your loved one is in a memory care unit or nursing facility, please share this podcast. And also, I have a blog that I that will be released Tuesday that covers the same content on the Make Dementia Your Bitch website. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your B, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.